Good morning. I have five minutes until that's an inaccurate greeting, so four minutes. So, uh, well, if we haven't had a chance to, to meet yet, my name is Adam Kuntz, and I'm one of the pastors on staff here, and just excited for any chance I get to share God's Word uh, this morning with you all. And so, uh, we're going to be in John chapter 3. If you want to place mark a few spots, we're going to be in John 3, we're going to Go forward to John 7, and then we'll find our way in John 19. So we'll, we'll get there in time. But if you want to go ahead and find your way to John chapter 3, that's where we're going to be this morning. Uh, at Liberty Christian Fellowship, there's five icons that you may see from time to time in the things that we do, the things that we put out. You can see those icons all together. Maybe you've seen them individually. <clears throat> I want to bring about some clarity uh, about these, and we as a church, uh, our mission is to build devoted followers of Jesus, and that's our, that's our mission. And so we believe that fully devoted followers of Jesus are gospel-centered, and to be gospel-centered is that the gospel forms the core of our understanding of who God is and how we engage of all of life situations and circumstances. We believe that being a fully devoted follower of Jesus is one that's humbly unified, to be humbly unified is that unity is expressed and lived out in humble, devoted love, service, and care to one another, all in the context of the local church, which in turn portrays a picture of the gospel to the world. We believe that a fully devoted follower of Jesus is mission-driven. To be mission-driven is the proclamation of the gospel, boldly spoken in word and humbly modeled in deed to all the nations of the earth. We believe that a fully devoted follower of Jesus is pursuing holiness, and this ought to be the aim of every follower of Jesus to grow in likeness to Christ. And lastly, we believe that a fully devoted follower of Jesus is disciple-making, that devoted followers of Jesus make disciples through the context of intentional relationship, allowing the gospel to impact their own lives in such a way that faith in Jesus is multiplied in the lives of others around them. So I wanted to briefly recap those values because that's, that's who we are as a church. That's who we're striving to be as a church. That we are on an ongoing journey towards becoming fully devoted followers of Jesus. And rhythmically, we set aside services like this, a celebration Sunday, to take a step back and celebrate what God uh, has done, is doing, and will continue to do. And it's important for us to um, set aside times like that where we celebrate what God is doing and he's still drawing hearts to himself and he's still working in the lives of our kids, he's working in the lives of our students, he's working in our congregation and beyond. This morning I wanna draw our attention towards pursuing holiness. Again, it's, it ought to be the aim of every follower of Jesus that we grow in likeness to Christ. There's another word for this you may have heard it, you may not. It's the process of sanctification. What is sanctification? J.I. Packer has a book called Concise Theology. It's a great resource. I've referred to it a number of years. It's over 50-some chapters, but each chapter is about a page and a half of concise theology. It's really great. You should pick it up. Um, but in that, J.I. Packer says this about sanctification. I really loved what he said. It says this. The concept of sanctification is not of sin being totally eradicated. That is to claim too much. 
or merely counteracted, that is to say too little, but of a divinely wrought character change, freeing us from sinful habits and forming in us Christ-like affections, dispositions, and virtues. He goes on to say, regeneration is birth, sanctification is growth. When we talk about pursuing holiness, we are talking about the process of sanctification, that those words can be used interchangeably. And we're not talking about you and your pursuit of perfection, but rather journeying in Christ-likeness and growing in grace. So with that, I would love for you to join me in John chapter three. We'll start in verse one. John three, verse one. This is God's word. There was a man from the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to him at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one could perform these signs you do unless God were with him. Jesus replied, Truly I tell you, unless someone is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. How can anyone be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked him. Can he enter his mother's womb a second time and be born? Jesus answered, Truly I tell you, unless someone is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Whatever is born of the flesh is flesh, and whatever is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I told you that you must be born again. The wind blows where it pleases, and you hear its sound, but you don't know where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. How can these things be? asked Nicodemus. (coughs) Excuse me. Scripture doesn't give us much on the life of Nicodemus. We can draw a number of things about Nicodemus from this encounter with Jesus. Some of those being that Nicodemus is a Pharisee. That can mean that he's, he's knowledgeable, he's well-versed in the scriptures, he's studious, intelligent. And the passage says that he is a ruler of the Jews, so he's a leader of people as well. Nicodemus has this moment where we see him confront Jesus And what we can see is that Nicodemus knows of Jesus, but he doesn't actually know Jesus. He recognizes that Jesus is a teacher. He respectfully calls him rabbi and says, we know that you're a teacher. Pharisees have been talking, we all agree that you're a teacher, but not only do they recognize he's a teacher, but they recognize that he is a teacher from God because you're doing things that only can be done with God by your side. And we see Nicodemus come to Jesus at night to to not be recognized or be seen associating with Jesus. And what we see is that this intelligent, well-versed man asking questions that you and I wouldn't expect him to really ask. Someone of that intellect. This is a fascinating interaction because we get the ability to sit in on this. Like these are not two buds catching up making up for lost time. This is two people, both knowing of each other. Nicodemus has a distant recognition of Jesus. Like, I know you're a teacher, and I know you're a teacher that comes from God, and that's about as far as it goes. Your reputation precedes you, Jesus. So I want you to take this Nicodemus and go forward with me to John chapter seven. John chapter seven. 
At this point in John's gospel, we're coming out of chapter six where Jesus starts his familiar I am statement. That's gonna span over a course of a couple chapters, but he starts it out in chapter six. He says, I am the bread of life after miraculously feeding a large crowd. And he goes on to say that no one who comes to me will ever be hungry and no one who believes in me will ever be thirsty again. So we go over to chapter seven and Jesus is traveling to Galilee during the time of the festival of the shelters. And the masses are traveling from all over to go to Jerusalem for these festivals. And so people would travel days, if not weeks, to come to these festivals. And so this place is hopping. It's jam-packed. And Jesus, being at the festival, was being recognized by people. Isn't this the man that claims to be the Messiah? Well, surely not. We know where he's from. He's coming from Galilee. We won't know where the Messiah comes from. This man's from Galilee, obviously. So there's, there's buzz going around and scripture says that they tried to seize him, but they didn't lay a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. So on the last day of the festival Jesus was at, he stands up and declares, if anyone's thirsty, let him come and drink. The one who believes in me, as the scripture has said, will have streams of living water flow from deep within him. This is the start of like some division happening among the festival. The crowds hear this. Some start to say, this man surely is the prophet. Others said, this is the Messiah. Some said, can't be the Messiah. We know where he's from. He's from Galilee. The crowd was divided over this. And then the Pharisees are at the festival and they're starting to get divided over what Jesus was doing and saying. The chief priests and the Pharisees started asking the crowds, why didn't you bring him to us? And they couldn't because he spoke with such wonder. And they've never heard anyone speak quite like the way Jesus did. And the Pharisees responded with, are you being fooled too? And then verse 50 happens. Nicodemus, the one who came to him previously and who was one of them, said to them, our law doesn't judge a man before it hears from him and knows what he's doing, does it? You aren't from Galilee too, are you? They replied, investigate and you will see that no prophet arises from Galilee. Now again, what we see here is not much, but we can pull from this very moment some significance. Chapter three, Nicodemus comes to Jesus in the night to not be seen by others. He knows of Jesus, but not very well. And he asks some questions that makes you think, Did he just say that question out loud? Like you have to enter your mother's womb again to be born? And now we see Nicodemus, not just in the night by himself, but he's in the middle of a festival, not just people from Jerusalem, but people from all over traveling to Jerusalem. From every city, village, or town coming to this festival, Nicodemus stands up on behalf of Jesus in front of this wildly divided audience and says, you know what the law says, right? We shouldn't judge this man until we've heard from him, right? This is a moment that we see Nicodemus being different than chapter three, Nicodemus. So take chapter seven, Nicodemus, forward to John 19. Now I know we're jumping through a lot. But Jesus' ministry up to this point has continued. Jesus' teaching 
in ways that no one's ever sat under before. He's caring for the sick. He's healing the lame. He's loving the outcast. His ministry has impacted an immeasurable number of people. And then Jesus died a sinner's death on a cross. And he's taken off the cross and taken to another man's tomb, Joseph of Arimathea. And it's in John starting in verse, or John 19, starting in verse 38. After this, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, because of his fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might remove Jesus' body. Pilate gave him permission, so he came and took his body away. Nicodemus, who had previously come to him at night, also came, bringing a mixture of about 75 pounds of myrrh and aloes. They took Jesus' body and wrapped it in linen cloths with the fragrant spices, according to the burial custom of the Jews. There was a garden in the place where he was crucified. A new tomb was in the garden. No one had yet been placed in it. They placed Jesus there because of the Jewish day of preparation and since the tomb was nearby. This is a different Nicodemus that we're seeing here. What happened? Something had to have happened in this man's life that we're seeing a completely different Nicodemus from chapter three to chapter seven to chapter 19. How did we get from, we know you're a teacher that comes from God in the darkness, from this man needs to be treated fairly and justly in the middle of a hustling and bustling festival, and then to be there caring for the body of Jesus in the shadow of the cross. In this entire account, it's evident that Nicodemus has been touched by Jesus. There was a moment where we can agree that Nicodemus does not believe that Jesus, son of God. And somewhere in between that moment and this one, we see that something happened. Something took place when Nicodemus has come to saving faith in Jesus as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Nicodemus did a few things that got him from chapter 3 to chapter 19. We've uncovered some of those, but I wanted to kind of take a look at the journey of Nicodemus. The first thing that we want to point out is that Nicodemus did what no one else did in the secret of the night. In his ignorance about Jesus, he went to Jesus. Nicodemus got the truth from truth himself. And when he's asking these questions that we would think would just be like silly or absurd. We saw that Jesus didn't belittle Nicodemus. He didn't laugh at Nicodemus. He didn't shame Nicodemus. He gently and tenderly cared for Nicodemus right where he was at. Secondly, Nicodemus did what no one else did in the middle of the festival. Nicodemus humbled himself to, he didn't stand up for Jesus like, heroically, but he did say, now look, guys, we know what the law says about judging a man before we hear from him. So Nicodemus humbled himself to approach Jesus open-mindedly in considering God's word. And then lastly, Nicodemus did what no one else did in the shadow of the cross, came to care for the body of our Savior. We don't know, but you just wonder how much time had passed between chapter three Nicodemus and chapter 19 where Nicodemus 
still remembers that conversation in the night where Jesus gently and tenderly was telling him, you must be born again. You must be born again. You must be born again. I mean, how many times did that statement just run laps in his mind and heart as he's wrapping the body of our Savior? And this was not a singular moment in the life of Nicodemus. It wasn't that one day he was a hater of the way and now all of a sudden he's a fully devoted follower of the way overnight. This was an ongoing, moment by moment, day by day process that started before chapter three, that God was drawing this man to himself. And what does Nicodemus do with his questions and his not knowings? Remember, he's... He's intelligent. He's well-versed in the scriptures. He was a man that knew a lot. And he went to Jesus himself with his questions. A decision that started a journey, a journey towards following Jesus. And let this be an encouragement to your soul. I've been following Jesus for over 25 years and sometimes I can get down on myself because I should be further along than I really am. But we see from the pages of scripture that Jesus is gentle and tender in our sanctification process. He's not gentle and tender towards a future version of you. He's gentle and tender towards your present you, the you that's right here in these seats, in your sanctification, in your areas of growth. He's gentle and tender towards you in that. Growth in Christ is an ongoing never ending on this side of heaven journey where you will grapple with sin but freed from sin's dominion and sustained by the life, the work, and the perfect obedience of Christ. And outside of that, you and I can do nothing morally speaking. So in this in-between zone of being in Christ and waiting for Christ, we remain in Christ, asking for help constantly and receiving that help through the Holy Spirit day by day, moment by moment. So what does this look like today? We saw on the pages of scripture that Nicodemus had these growth checkpoints that we saw. And I get that sanctification is growth, but what does that mean for me today? And there's a unique challenge that comes. I'm speaking to a room full of people in different ages and stages and seasons of life, and I'm talking about what's your next step? There's people in this room that don't have a saving faith in Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins. There's people in this room that have been following Jesus for two days, two weeks, two months, two decades. There are people in this room that are discouraged in their walks with the Lord because he seems silent in areas they don't want him to be. There's people in this room that have a newfound life that just bursts forth when they read the pages of Scripture. And there's a beautiful common denominator in all of these nuances and all these different stages and ages and seasons that every single person here this morning has a next step in their walk with the Lord. That every single person has a next step. You have a next step and I have a next step. And if I were to bring up one question that I hope to resolve this morning, it's this question. Can I grow here? Can I grow here? My role over the past year or more has shifted from student ministry to assimilation, small groups, and discipleship. 
And you may be new or newish and may appear, I've been here for a long time and I actually haven't. I've only been here since 2020. And I too asked a question like this. When I was looking for a church to serve at, can I grow here? Can my family grow here? I mean, looking for a church home uh, is a big question. There's a lot of questions that are asked. When you're looking to make a, a church your place to grow and serve and be involved in, like it's big. And so I want to answer this question with, yes, you can grow here, but I also want to acknowledge and recognize that growth does not happen based off the number of programs a church has. Your growth does not happen based on the charisma or energy of a pastor or ministry leader. Growth happens based on Christ's enabling work through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's it. Your growth happens through Christ's enablement. So I'm going to step into some practical nuts and bolts into the life and inner workings of our church and what our church has to offer. But I want to recognize a few things because this is a little different. I want to recognize that you may notice if you've been visiting here for one week or one year or so on, you may recognize that we don't do church announcements. You probably haven't heard that many of them. When we do them, they're few and far between. And there are times where that's fine and dandy, but there are also, like, that's intentional, that we, we don't do announcements. And, that, and we recognize there's challenges that come with that. We know that it may appear that you have to know the right person with the right handshake to get into the club. And we don't want to appear that way. But we are unapologetic that we do want to keep Sundays we want to keep the main thing the main thing, and that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so I've been in different contexts before where I was the announcement guy. I'd walk down the center row, and as I'm walking, I already have three things I need to hit on or four or five, whatever else, and I'm always going to forget one or three things, it always seemed to be. And I'm walking down the center aisle, and someone would say, oh, Adam, don't forget the church picnic. Adam, don't forget this and that. And it was sometimes the church announcements take 15 minutes, it felt like. And we want to keep the main thing the main thing. We don't want to appear that you have to know the right person with the right handshake to know what's actually going on here. There is a common landing space for all the things happening in our church, but we do want to keep the main thing the main thing. The second thing I want to recognize is that I really don't want to sound like a bad late night infomercial with the sales pitch. But what I do want to bring about is clarity. I want to bring about clarity as to what we're doing as a church. We don't do regular church announcements, but I do want to provide moments of clarity of what's actually happening in the life of our church. So my heart in this is to bring clarity more than sales pitchy information spouting. And I talked about a common landing space. Like, where is that space? Like, I saw that I can know what's actually happening in the life of our church. Our website is lcfliberty.org, and there's an events tab. If you're on your desktop, it's on the very top of the screen. If you're on your phone, it's on those three horizontal bars. Just click on the events, and that's all the things that we're doing in the life of our church. We're not going to announce most of those things because we want to keep the main thing the main thing. And lastly, I want to address what is the actual end game here? 
We're not putting an emphasis or setting aside an entire service towards pursuing holiness to gain more attendance on Sunday mornings. We're not trying to get more people involved in a small group. We're not trying to gain more volunteers or leaders where we need more volunteers or leaders. We're also not even trying to gain more financial givers. We're not gonna make you sit through a a timeshare type spiel. We're all called as followers of Jesus to step into these areas at some point in our life. And our goal is not a hidden agenda where we're sub-hinting at desperate needs so we can hit higher numbers or higher percentages in those areas. We pray that as a church with the people that God's entrusted to us, that we shepherd and lead our people well. And that in our ongoing journeys of sanctification, pursuing holiness and growth, that we become fully devoted followers of Jesus. That is our aim. That is the end game, that we become fully devoted followers of Jesus Christ. So I have seven different ministries that I want to draw our attention towards. And this is not exhaustive. I wish I could hit more things, and, but I wanted to channel our efforts towards ministries and areas that would help with every age, stage, and season in our church. And instead of us looking at these individually on like a timeline, maybe those would fit nicely on a calendar, I wanted to start out broad with these would hit everybody and then work to maybe more specifics. So first I want to hit on Sunday morning gatherings. This is for every follower of Jesus. The new saint, the old saint, the seeking, the weak, the fragile, the cynic, the hopeful. The gathering of believers is seen more casually in our society and culture. Like there's this option attached to it. And the option hinges on if we feel like it or if nothing else more entertaining comes around. More than, I desperately need this. I need the gathering of brothers and sisters in Christ. And I get it. There are weeks where we as a family are just trading fevers back and forth. There, There are weeks where you're just not feeling it. There are weeks where my heart doesn't want the gospel, but there is something powerful that happens when we gather together as brothers and sisters in Christ. Sunday after Sunday. It's more than attending a well-packaged, seamlessly transitioned service from start to finish. It's the gathering of brothers and sisters in Christ. We may not have a lot of common in this space, but the one thing that we do have in common is the banner of Christ's blood over us. I was speaking at a homeless shelter on a Sunday morning for a church service. It was about six or seven years ago. It was filled, just like us, it was filled with a number of ages, stages, and seasons. I'm looking all across this room, and there's those that are sleeping who did not have a good night's sleep that night. There are people who are somewhat engaged with what's going on during this church service, and there are those that really don't care about what this tidy little preacher boy has to say. Most, as it seemed to me, didn't really enjoy the time. And so my goal, sadly, was to just get up, say what I need to say, and get off the stage. I have no idea what these people are going through. I have no idea what their stories hold, and I just wanted to get in get out. And I'm moments away from preaching, and there's a man walking by. And as he's walking by, he points to me, and he goes, you preaching? 
And I said, yes, sir, I, I, yes, I am, but don't worry, it won't, it won't be too long. And he stops, and he gets in my face, and he says, I want you to cut me up and sew me back together with the gospel. And it really put it in perspective for me. I'm just trying to get in, get out, get out of there unscathed. But this man needed the gospel. And he wakes up Sunday after Sunday ready to be cut up and sewn back together with the gospel. When we gather together Sunday after Sunday, it's not to check a box, it's not to have perfect attendance, it is to be cut up and sewn back together with the hope of the gospel. We get up off of our operating tables that we call Monday to Saturday. We come in with our open wounds, our surgeries, our scars, and our stories, and we come to allow the gospel to make whole what's been broken. All across this room are stories, fears in one person's life who have been gut-wrenching realities in another, and we come together to gather and put on church etiquette and say the things we need to say to appear that everything is fine and good when we come together and gather because it's not fine and good. We're not fine and good. We don't gather because we're perfect or try to appear as perfect, but we gather because we are wounded warriors walking with a limp and we are longing for the day of Christ's return. And in our waiting, we worship that we sit at the feet of Jesus and under his word, his teachings, and we spur one another on. Sunday mornings matter, and that's for everyone. You can grow here. Next, I want to talk about Engage. This is a one-time class for anyone looking to make LCF their church home. You may have been coming for one week, maybe one or two years, and you've never really figured out how to get involved in the life of our church. We have people come to be a part of this class. I'm, I'm in that class. Tim is in that class. A few pastors, some leadership team members. And it's a common space for anyone to hear more about our church and no question is off the table. We recognize that the reason why people are coming and looking for a church home is due to a number of things. It could be a life circumstance. It could be a job change, a move, unfortunately, church hurt, or whatever else. And we know that and recognize that seeking a church home is hard, and we're with you in that. And so we offer this class every six to eight weeks, and it's been a surprising joy of mine to be a part of this class and to find out that every six or eight weeks we come to be a part of this class, and there are still 20-some people that come every six to eight weeks looking to make LCF their church home. In this class can either be the on-ramp to making LCF your church home, or sometimes we answer questions that make it the off-ramp to this being the church home, and that's okay. But we want this to be a space where you can come and find out, can I grow here? Kids and student ministries. We have a kids ministry and a student ministry, and we recognize that being a fully devoted follower of Jesus doesn't start once you become an adult. We strive to maintain the same core values of being gospel-centered, humbly unified, mission-driven, 
pursuing holiness and disciple making in all areas of our ministries. That includes our kids and that includes our students. And you notice every week if you come here, we engage in worship with our kids and then we host a parade where we release the kids to their classes and it's wonderful and I love that. I love that we get to worship with our kids and then we get to send them to to class and I love looking around the room and seeing kids engaged in worship. And I love hearing my girls sing along with us in worship. And for our kids, we have Kids Point every Sunday morning during our service times. We have an incredible team of pastors and leaders that pour out weekly into our children and to our students. There's a ministry inside of our kids' ministry called Truth Seekers. And that happens on Tuesday nights here at LCF. And this has been a long-standing ministry that's happened for a while here at LCF. Many of you have had a child go through Truth Seekers or maybe gone through it yourself personally. And it's an intentional discipleship course for third through fifth graders. They actively engage in scripture memory. The curriculum they go through walks from creation to Christ. There's times of worship. There's large group and small group settings. And this is something that your child can, can join in on at any time. And our fifth grade students every year take all the things that they've learned in this discipleship course and put it into practice on mission. Our student ministry offers something similar but different age range. Youth group happens for students 6th through 12th grade. They have Bible studies that happen throughout the week. It's a great thing to have your student invested in student ministry It's a great thing to be poured into to our youth pastors and trusted adults that speak the same language that you speak to your student. Your child and your student can grow here. I want to talk small groups. This is a common next step for people when they're looking for a church to call home. Can I enter into a gospel-centered community? We have a number of small groups that meet week in, week out, off campus, on campus, similar life stage, intergenerational. And one of my first tasks in stepping into my role in small groups was to meet with small group leaders and to hear, tell me about your small group. What makes your small group unique? And it was awesome. There was 30 small groups and every single group was different. Not one group was the same and it was Beautiful and sobering that God's people are being faithful to care uniquely in that group, God's people. We have over 30 small groups, like I said, and over 400 some odd people involved in those groups. And as of right now, about half of those groups are open to accepting new folks into their small group communities. So maybe your next step is stepping into a gospel-centered community. You can grow here. I want to bring our attention to a missions conference that's happening this month. This is a new effort to help us grow in our understanding of global missions, not just here at LCF, but what we find in the pages of Scripture. This is a practical and theological dive into God's heart for the nations. Now, this is not just for those looking to enter into cross-cultural missions or what you may label the overly zealous. This is for every follower of Jesus to grow in God's heart for the nations. That this is not just something that only the missions people uh, interact with. This is for every person here at LCF, that we would grow in our global mindedness of God's heart for the nations. 
There will be teaching, there'll be pointed breakouts, there'll be corporate worship and prayer. Maybe this is your next step, growing in your heart globally for the nations. You can grow here. Next, I wanna talk about something new that we're launching here at LCF. It's called LCF Institute. This has been in La La Land for over a year, taking up valuable space in my brain, so I'm glad it's actually happening and getting on paper. Um, But LCF Institute is an ongoing offering that the new or old follower of Jesus can enter into a journey towards full devotion of following Jesus. LCF Institute will equip believers in three areas of discipleship, Bible, doctrine, and habits. By weaving together these three elements into a holistic approach of discipleship, men and women have the opportunity to grow in their love for God, scripture, and his mission. So there's three pillars, like I mentioned, in in these classes. We're going to offer Bible-related classes, doctrine-related classes, and habit-related classes. The goal of Bible-related classes is simple, biblical participation, biblical engagement. We're at a day and age where we are biblically illiterate and ignorant. But what if instead of hitting play on YouTube, like what if the church was faithful in equipping faithful brothers and sisters? What if the church had faithful men and women teaching faithful men and women? This is going to be a rich time together as we navigate the pages of scripture together. And again, it's for the new follower of Jesus or for the person that's been following Jesus for a long, long time. The second pillar I mentioned is doctrine. And I know what you're thinking. We're starting to sound academic and heady. Now let me tell you, I am not someone who is academic or would ever label myself as intellectual. I got a D in Baptist denomination in college and I grew up Baptist. (laughs) You guys can look at my transcript later. But there's something beautiful to learn about God and his attributes. And it may seem like kind of pointless, like why would I set aside time to learn about doctrine? But let me tell you firsthand that when my life has gone sideways, I was able to endure because of what I knew about God. When I was in my darkest season, here's what I know about God. I know that God is good. I know that God is sovereign. I know that God is present. I know God is near. And I thought about this all the time. And I still think about it all the time. And it carried me in my seasons of darkness that I grew in knowledge of God, but that is not where, that's not the end point to just gain knowledge of God, but push through to that and let stir your affections for God. The third pillar is habits. The goal of habits would be to practice the story of God. We're not just trying to gain knowledge. We're not trying to turn into intellectuals or academic folks, but that we are trying to actually put into practice what we see in the pages of scripture. We want LCF Institute to be an ongoing journey for us as a church to grow in in biblical participation and engagement. We want to grow in knowledge and love of God 
and we want to practice the story of God. This first year of offerings are going to be very foundational for the class offerings moving forward. Our first year are going to be all Bible-related classes, and um, January 28th, right here in this room, uh, David Fox is going to be teaching us from two to five. He's going to launch us into a year of intentional and faithful biblical participation. And we're going to start the year with the class called Can I Trust the Bible? Spoiler alert, yep. <laughs> but you're going to walk away with actual evidence that the Bible is authoritative and true and assurance for your soul. And taking that to the next offering a few months later, knowing that the Bible is true and authoritative, how do I study the Bible? How do I correctly interpret scripture? The nerdy word for that is hermeneutics 101. But after you've been assured of the authority of scripture, practical help in interpreting Scripture, we're going to offer Story of the Bible Part 1, an Old Testament survey, and Story of the Bible Part 2, a New Testament survey. The reason being is how valuable it is when you open the pages of Scripture that you know where you're at in the story. I'm reading a book right now called The Epic Story of the Bible. It started out talking about this journey to Everest he was taking, and he Google earthed this journey so much so that as he was hiking and doing this journey, he knew where he was at because he had studied it so much. That when, how beautiful it is when you open the pages of scripture that you're not just playing Bible roulette and hoping God says something powerful here, but that when you open the, open the Bible that you actually know this is where I'm at in, in God's grand redemptive story. How powerful that is to know where you're at in the story. This will be a fun year to intentionally put efforts in equipping the saints and growing together in this. Maybe a next step for you is to grow in the story of God. You can grow here. Lastly, I want to talk about disciple making. And if there is something that many followers of Jesus know is something they ought to be doing but don't do for one reason or another, it's making disciples. We've somehow blown this thing up in our minds to either be way more difficult or time-consuming than it actually is. And there's this guilt monkey that hangs out on our back and with it, discipleship isn't as difficult as it's made out to be. We don't need disciplers that know the answer of every Bible-related question. We don't need curriculum or the newest book that has a study guide attached to it. Those things aren't bad or wrong. But what we do need are faithful brothers and sisters who are willing to meet intentionally and ask the questions, what are you reading in the pages of scripture and what are you doing about it? The conversations I've had over the years, even when I was in student ministry, have led me to see the necessity of creating an easy to grab handle for the person that has the prompting that says, I know I should be disciple making. I know I should be a discipler by now, but I don't know what to do. I don't know how to start and I don't know what that time actually looks like. We as a staff circled up in our office conference room for a discipleship think tank a few months back and we put together an easy to refer to resource to aid you in your disciple making. 
This is for the person that is ready to take a step forward in discipling someone. And it says in the guide, like first or second page, it says, this is one way to disciple. It's not the way to disciple. So if you're already in your discipling, have a way and it's been going great, like continue on. But if you're looking for a handle that I would love to grow in discipleship, I want to walk people through scripture, here is a help. And those are booklets that are in the lobby. They're in a basket. You can use them and I hope and pray that it would spur on creativity and urgency in your heart to go and make disciples. So um, we don't wanna make it harder than it is, but it's just an easy to refer to, pick and choose what would be helpful for you in that, in that resource. So when it comes to your ongoing journey towards disciple making, you can grow here. As we close, I wanna say one more time that the end game here is not perfect attendance at our programs or offerings. We're not trying to fill a hole or a gap through trickery. More than anything, we hope and pray that as you pursue holiness, that you will grow in being a fully devoted follower of Jesus. That is our aim. That is why we do what we do, and that is what we pray you grow in, that you can grow here. Not by your efforts, not by our teachings or pumping energy into a ministry or program, it is Christ's enablement that you and I are able to live a life of godliness. Amen? I'd love to read uh, a passage over us and then pray. The passage is found in Jude 24 and 25. Now to him who is able to protect you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory without blemish and great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, power, and authority before all time, now and forever. Let me pray over us. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for what we see in the pages of scripture. And God, I pray for every person in this room that you would continue to assure our hearts just as you were gentle and tender towards Nicodemus in his journey, Lord, that that same gentleness and that same tenderness is still leading and shepherding us today. And God, I pray that as we reflect and consider, God, the ways that you're working in our lives, I pray that your spirit would embolden and give us a courage, Lord, to take that next step, whatever that is. And I pray that your glory would abound more and more. We, we love you and we thank you and we praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You are dismissed. Thanks so much for joining us this week. Have a great day.